Welcome to those who are joining. You're listening to the 29th episode of the FinTech Cafe. Important disclaimer is that Manisha and I, we have, a, this is just our side passion project. We have our full-time jobs and our employer is not affiliated to this, to this show. And uh, we're also not endorsing any products. Our intention is primarily to cultivate a community of thought leadership within FinTech. So let's start with our intro. My name is Ambika Sharma. I'm based here in San Francisco. I'm a product manager for a big bank. And uh, I'm very excited that you all have, you know, been coming week after week. Today, we're joined by the founder and CEO, Skyflow, who also has my last name. So I'm very excited to welcome another Sharma. We're not related, but I'm very excited to have this affiliation. <laughs> so I'll pass it over to Manisha for her introduction. Feeling a little bit left out here, Ambika, without the Sharma last name. Hello, everyone. Monisha here. I also work in the financial services, primarily focused on product management of consumer products. With that, Anshu, we'll kick it off to you with our first question. You came from India as a student to pursue your master's here. You have had successful stints at big companies like Oracle and Salesforce. And then you've invested in companies which have turned out to be successful too. I've heard the term Midas Touch associated with you. What motivates you, Anshu, to keep going? So what motivates me is being able to find the mute button. <laughs> I think, well, thanks for the introduction. You are free to change your last name to Sharma. I can take <laughs> yours and we can keep the world uh, a good, sane place. But I think, you know, I think we are all creatures of, uh, you know, habit. And for me, I enjoy writing code when I was a kid. And I think the <clears throat> the easiest way to get paid writing code is to build things. And so that's been pretty much the simplest explanation of everything I've done for the last 25 years. I went to undergrad school and I picked a school that was literally further from my hometown than India is here. Because in those days, we had to travel by train and it took uh, more than 18 hours. So I think it's just very simple. I enjoy building things. Anything that helps me build things while remaining employed is useful. I think as you grow, you know, you learn new skill sets and hopefully things compound. But it's it's very simple. Just building things is what motivates me. And how have you built your way to Skyflow? Yeah, sure. So very, very typical of a, you know, first generation immigrant. We spent, you know, first eight or nine years at a large company, Oracle. Really, really good learning for, you know, working with customers, shipping code that's truly production quality in many cases, not some, not always. And also learning the value of uh, sales and marketing, which I think can be great learning grounds for someone who wants to eventually become a product person or a founder. At some point, I realized I enjoyed working with customers more and setting up strategy of what we should be building more than I enjoyed debugging and writing code. So I switched over to being a product manager. And then I moved over from Oracle to Salesforce because Oracle wasn't moving to cloud fast enough. And that was my new obsession 13 years ago. And since then, I spent six years at Salesforce. I started three companies, invested in 45 or 47 by now. 
Some of them are doing well. Today, Workato announced they just uh, did a Series E, I think, at a 5.7 billion valuation. So it's all good. You know, we are going through a good phase for technology. I've seen two busts after bubble. So hopefully this one lasts long. But, you know, that's basically I came to Skyflow. The problem Skyflow is solving is very simple. Both Oracle and Salesforce are essentially data platforms in their own way. Oracle gives you a database where you can keep the data. Salesforce gives you a cloud service where you can keep customer data. What I discovered was despite all these very, very large companies and then hundreds of others like SAP and and Okta and Gigia and everything else, we were still getting data breaches at companies like Equifax. And it literally impacts all of us. You know, we give our social security numbers every time we file credit cards. But funny enough, we also give our social security number when all you want to do is rent uh, a car, right? Because to do a credit run, sometimes they need all that information. It's, it's kind of insane that we have to do that every time we do any small transaction. So it seemed intuitive to me that if you apply technology to it, build a cloud service, which could take care of all these personal sensitive information fields and give it as a managed service to customers, just like Stripe does for credit cards and Twilio does for telephone. We could build an interesting business and that's the journey we are on at Skyflow. Before we get into a little more about Skyflow, um, curious to hear about the influence of Mark Benioff and your time at Salesforce when you were head of platforms there. Sounds like a few interesting takeaways through that experience. Yeah, well, you don't have to work with Mark to learn from Mark. That's, you know, I think Walter Isaacson has broken that barrier. If you just pick up the books about people like Steve Jobs, you can learn from them too. But yeah, I think working for a company run by Mark clearly has an impact. I think in some ways it has a greater impact on how I build the culture of the company and how I think about values and such than even more than product and distribution. I think Mark is just a special guy he's he he has a very very keen sense of where the market is headed oftentimes five to seven years ahead of everybody else and i think a lot of us have that intuition he's the only person i know that listens to his intuition and you know really doubles down and makes massive bets he's done it again and again and i think not many companies are able to go through the transitions from you know, on-premise to cloud, cloud to mobile, mobile to social, social to AI, and so on and so forth. So I think what I learned the most from him is, A, listen to your intuition, but listening doesn't mean, hey, my intuition is telling me X, Y, Z. Listening also means acting on it and making significant changes in your company's trajectory or product strategy or your personal life. Thank you. And now... A little more about Anshu. On your LinkedIn profile, you've indicated that one of the purposes is to be like Apple. And you've also referenced them in other conversations within the context of privacy. Would love to hear you talk a little more about your thinking there, Anshu. Yes, I think uh, we all use, I don't know, dozens of online services. We all are on one right now. And you know, they know our email address, they know our location oftentimes, these services sometimes know more about what you do in a day than even you may realize because we don't have infinite 
second by second memories that phones and clouds have. I think when I look at the amount of data we can collect and we do collect, there's a greater responsibility on all companies. And I think Apple is probably the company that's taken it the most seriously. You know, we can go back and forth on whether that's because they are, you know, authentically good people and aligned with in the purpose of humanity or they're doing it because it's a, a competitive strategy win against the other tech giants. But whatever be the reason, the net result is that I trust my messaging services and my photos more to my phone than to most other devices and to most other cloud services. They are not alone. Companies like Google and others and Netflix have also invested large amounts of money so that they don't, you know, you don't wake up every day and reach about too many breaches at these companies the way you reach about your hotel company, the way you reach about your credit card company and so on and so forth. And I think we are building a, you know, a simple product, but lots and lots of complex technologies inside. And the easiest way to explain that to a, a business person, CEO, or a layperson is to say, hey, what if every company could protect your data and give you the level of trust that Apple offers to me or Netflix or Google for that matter? And to do that, it takes a lot of work. You have to think through every element of the life cycle of your personal information. You have to think about things like, you know, are you rotating the keys on the, on the locks of your encryption and so on and so forth? And it's hard work. It requires a large team and we've assembled the team. So the simplest way to explain to someone, let's say, who's running an online healthcare app or building a stock trading app is to say, hey, you should be treating the data the, data the way these large companies we trust do. And they all use a pattern which is similar to a zero trust vault. And we've offered that as a package service. Got it. So Anshu, we are about 15 minutes into our moderated session. It's only 30 minutes. So we have 15 minutes left to the moderate session and then we'll open up to the audience. So the next, we have lots of questions. So I was going to do a little bit of like speed round here. So the first question I have about Skyflow is, why did you choose privacy as a problem statement? If you could answer that one. Mm, I don't think it was any kind of a clever thing to do, honestly. Uh, it may have actually negatively impacted us in the early years. You know, famously, I think some of the top investors and people who know the market were very consistent. They're like, there's no, people talk about privacy. You know, you can read op-eds about it, but nobody really cares about it to the point of actually spending money for it. And so, you know, privacy is in some ways considered A, unsolvable, and B, doesn't really have a budget behind it. I felt that the easiest way to explain what we do is actually to talk about privacy because, you know, a security company by definition is securing something, uh, and so oftentimes, if you look at very large cybersecurity companies, they will be securing something. It's like, I secure the network, I secure your email, I secure your firewall, and so on and so forth. But, you know, that's like securing one thing at a time. And to me, that doesn't really ensure privacy. In fact, the largest privacy challenge we've seen in the last five, seven years, which resulted in a $5 billion fine for Facebook, 
there was no data breach. Everything that Facebook systems did was actually encoded and handled correctly. Nobody got through their data centers or their applications and stole any data. What happened was that people didn't think about how the data is collected, used, managed, stored, and shared. And that's a privacy challenge. So I think to think holistically about the problem from a user's perspective, you have to put in the word privacy. And so that's why we've picked on it. We've been very lucky, you know, since we've been talking about for the last three years or so, the largest companies now, you know, you can go to any leading company's homepage, they'll be like in large fonts, privacy. You can go to Facebook portal, you can go to Apple, you can go to any of these companies and they are all talking about privacy. So I think we got lucky, but really the intention was, I could not explain what we were doing without using that word. Got it. So you have a special offering for the financial sector, the financial institutions, and the, the show is financial. This show is called FinTech Cafe, and our audience is also from the finance sector. So could you talk more specifically about the FinTech Privacy Vault that you launched, and what does that product offering do? Yeah, so I think uh, if you think about uh, the problem of data privacy, you know, there's usually only two or three elements. One is you as a citizen, as a human being, you know, you have your IDs and such. Then there is you interacting with your healthcare providers. And the third is you interacting with, you know, your money. I think when we are interacting with any institution that handles our money, privacy becomes even more important because the impact is immediate, meaningful, and scary. So, what we've done is we've taken our core product, Skyflow Data Privacy Vault, and essentially said, okay, so if I'm building the next Robinhood or I'm building the next you know, Coinbase or whatever application you want to build, what would I need beyond a data store to actually get my application working faster? And the answer is you probably want to collect users' information, so can you build some collection forms? You want to pass this information along to a KYC company or an AML API call. Can I do all of that without decrypting the data? Then you want to probably, you know, do a whole bunch of workflows around the user's lifecycle, again, without decrypting the data. So we've thought through these use cases. We've packaged them up. We've done the integration work so that you don't just get Skyflow data vault when you use the product, you also get these pre-built integrations, which you can extend and modify, but you can also build your own. So it's really uh, a faster path to you shipping your banking app, basically, is how to think about Skyflow's fintech data privacy world. Got it. So just one use case, if we can talk through it. So suppose I am SoFi. I used to work uh, previously at SoFi. So imagine um, I'm trying to open a, I'm a consumer, and I'm trying to open a checking account with SoFi. SoFi requires me to give them my social security, date of birth, et cetera. And mm-hmm. will, will your products, let's say SoFi bought Skyflow's data privacy vault, it's embedded into mm-hmm. their tech stack. How, do, how, does it, how does the experience look like for me as a consumer? Will I have to input my social security number and date of birth or not? Yes, so today, you know, there is no way for SoFi to identify you to Experian and get your credit score without your social security number. There is no way for them to 
do a tax reporting to the IRS at the end of the year, which they're legally required to do without your uh, SSN. So they do need the SSN, but note that in both of these cases, SOFI doesn't need those your SSN. They need to be able to use your SSN with a third party. And I think that's a critical difference. There's a huge difference between needing to own something versus being able to use something on your behalf. And so what Skyflow Privacy by Design kind of does is when you give the social security number, it immediately gets encrypted and it basically goes into a vault. And then if SoFi engineers want to use the social security number, instead of decrypting it, they essentially use the vault integrations to call Equifax. They use the vault integration to call you know, any other APIs like a tax API. As a result, if an engineer at SoFi made a mistake, they didn't think through the use case or a customer support representative as happened with Robinhood yesterday, you know, accidentally reveals their username, password through a social engineering hack to somebody that nobody can just like go in there and just look at all of your information. The information is simply not available to SoFi internal users and it's only available to for third-party integrations. Now, there may be corner cases. You may have an anti-fraud team that needs to look at it, but that should be like five people in a company of 5,000. And even for those five people, you can put rules and regulations in place. Like why was the customer support guy at Robinhood able to view 7 million users' information? If he simply didn't have access, then even if the hacker got in, the hacker wouldn't be able to see it either. So. The whole goal is not just to put something in a vault, but to actually put governance rules, all kinds of controls around it. And we do that out of the box so that, you know, so if I can focus on, you know, lowering your credit card rate or your student loan rate. Okay, so just one other follow up to that, and then I'll hand it over Mm -hmm. to Manisha, and that is. So will SoFi actually store the SSN in their databases or will they never actually like the data, the SSN actually never enters their tech stack anywhere. It doesn't enter their tech stack. It gets bypassed entirely. It goes into the vault where it's always encrypted. There may be certain corner cases, right? So if every entity that they're doing business with has clean APIs, they'll never be able to decrypt. But oftentimes there may be one or two corner cases, right? So I think there are some utopian answers out there. Like some people have said, why don't we just use public key, private keys and PGP and this and that. And oftentimes those are excellent solutions, but they're simply impractical. So what we do is the vault essentially bypasses your entire tech stack. You never touch the SSN, you never touch the credit card number, you never touch the phone number, and you're still able to run your workflows. And you know, you're basically able to integrate with third parties. So Anshu, does that mean SoFi or the company could potentially lose out on some data points um, that they would otherwise hold and the trade-off being data versus uh, potential. Yes, so that's a great question. So I think that's sort of the, what I call the big lie of privacy. I think a lot of companies, you know, go in front of the Congress or write op-ed saying, hey, you know, if you don't let give me your phone number in plain text, then I can't personalize the ad for your nearest Starbucks coupon. And the answer is sim- simply not true anymore. Using 
modern cryptographic techniques, we can actually do certain kinds of computations on encrypted data without decrypting it. So you can actually run a query in Skyflow that says, give me the sum of all balances in six in 650 area code without decrypting the data. Similarly, you can actually identify your area code, let's say, and give you a coupon without decrypting the whole phone number. And the heart of all of this is our patented technology called polymorphic data encryption. You don't have to understand polymorphic data encryption. You simply have to think about the fact that essentially, you know, when you're talking about doing analytics, let's say, on phone number records, Nobody ever runs a query on last four digits of your phone numbers. Nobody says, give me the balance of everybody whose last four digits is 4473. It's an insane query. So what we've done is we know what a phone number is. We've built a data classification system and we've encrypted the data in a way that we can actually still run queries by country code and area code. And we can actually search and we can do all of that without decrypting the data. And, you know, it's kind of mind-blowing when you actually got it to work. I remember distinctly the day we got it to work. But, you know, that's really our secret sauce, that you can do these operations without decrypting the data, right? So now, what does that mean? Like, you know, let's say, you know, some of you are engineers, you understand what partial homomorphic, homomorphic encryption looks like. But let's talk about in lay terms. So lay terms, it's very simple. Let's say you wanted to prove that you're over 21 years old, Manisha, right? And you wanted to be able to prove that to a bar. Do you really have to give them your full date of birth just to prove that you're 21? No, of course not. You know, in an ideal world, you would cut up your driver's license into two parts. One part has the year of your birth. The rest of the part has your, you know, uh, date of birth, uh, date and month, day and month. And when a bartender asks your proof of ID, you just show him the year, but not reveal your full date of birth. Now, in the real world, we can't do these things. We can't cut up our driver's licenses in these ways, but that's why computers are fun. Uh, We can actually cut up your data in multiple different ways and do interesting things with it. And as a result, we can actually overcome this false dichotomy. I don't know who told you that I'm over 21. I'm actually not, but (laughs) just kidding. That's that's great to hear. And so kind of uh, segueing into the your pitch to the financial institutions, the fintechs and the banks, how do you, what does that sound like on you in terms of what are they willing to trade off to get the benefit of? There is, there is zero trade off. And, you know, and that's the beauty of this whole thing. You can run all the queries you want to run you can run all the workflows you want to run. All we are doing is governing the when is that happening, who is allowed to do it. It's not one of those black box cryptographic systems which everybody buys. Actually, every bank, I can guarantee you, including your bank and any former banks you may have worked for, they all own very, very sophisticated cryptographic algorithms and products and such. The problem is nobody really uses them other than to encrypt the data at rest. And the reason is we need to run these workflows. And I think with Skyflow's, you know, technology, we can actually have our cake and eat it too. And you can read more about it on my blogs and stuff. But essentially the idea is there is zero trade-off. You don't need to 
not go to the bar or give your driver's license just to prove you're 21. We can do what is known as a zero knowledge proof, right? I can give you essentially a certificate that says, you know, I reviewed your credit card or your driver's license. I am certifying that both Monisha and Ambika are actually 21 years old. And now you can just show that token. You can just show that token to the bartender rather than showing your driver's license. If you do that, then you don't have to have this false dichotomy of like, do I share everything or am I not allowed to drink even? Got it. And and then in terms of the, you know, the fintech world is obviously targeted at a certain market, but what is the shift with the, in the conversation with the big bank? Like what, what do they not have that Skyflow offers them? None of them. All of them have tried building something like this. I was talking to one of the largest banks. They have two versions of this. I was talking to a leading credit bureau organization. They are on version two of this thing. I talked to one of our largest customers today. He was the former CTO of uh, a large bank that built, you know, Apple's card. And, you know, he's built a wart like this three times in his career at three different banks. The problem is all of these systems were built before these modern cryptographic techniques were viable. They were built in an era where you were essentially running, you know, Oracle or SQL Server in your data center. And you're essentially buying some kind of an overlay layer. It half the time doesn't work. So basically app engineers. So CISO goes in, out and buy all this fancy security technology. And basically app, application developers and database owners just ignore it. So what we solve for them is we just give them a clean API. So as an application developer, you don't have to think about how do I do masking of your credit card number as it's being entered? It's done for you, right? So when it's exactly the kind of things that Twilio and Stripe did for their domains that we've done for data protection. We make it easy. And that doesn't sound like a whole lot, but I think easy is what drives us to have behaviors that are correct as opposed to you know uh, keeping the data all over the place. Well, we're out of time for the moderated. We have so many follow-ups, but let's uh, go to the audience. So if those for those who are new, I see there are a lot of party hats in the audience. So now we're in the audience Q&A. There are two ways to come up and ask questions. One is you can raise your hand and Monisha and I, were moderators, will bring you up on stage and you can ask your question directly. So there is a hand icon in the bottom right. If you click on that, we'll bring you up on stage. The second way is if you're not able to speak, you can send us a message through the back channel and that there is an icon also on the bottom right. It's like a plane. If you click on that, you should be able to uh, message me or Manisha, and we can ask the question for you on your behalf. So we already have, Anshu, a first question. I'm not sure if he's still around. David asked a question, and he said, how, will, how do you help with KYC? Can you talk specifically about confirming for KYC that banks have to conform to? Sure. So what is KYC? KYC, for those you don't know, is basically the bank being able to prove that, you know, when I say I gave out a loan to Ambika Sharma, it's actually Ambika Sharma. And it's the particular Ambika Sharma that actually took out the loan because there is more than one. Trust me. Uh, I know. Very funny. And, <laughs> yes. And I think, so what do we need? We need to start with something like your you know, some government issued ID usually, 
right? Like your driver's license, passport, you've all done this when you opened your first bank account in your life. Someone has to go in and prove who you are. And that paper-based process, you know, used to take days actually, but it's called know your customer, KYC. Now the problem is in the old days, the bank manager would look at it and say, yeah, you know, this sounds, looks like legit documents. ID doesn't look fake. Amika, now you have a bank account and now you are part of the civil society and you can actually bank on the networks, right? And life is good. What's happened is we moved everything online. A lot of applications that you have on your phone right now don't have a branch, right? I opened my E-Trade account online. You know, I opened my Square Cash app online. When you do those things, how do you prove that who you are is who you are? You have to give them the same information, except now they have to verify it using a third party. So what Skyflow does is it allows you to enter that information. It encrypts it on the device itself, sends it over, bypassing SoFi, and essentially goes to something like an Equifax service or an Alloy service or any of the background services out there, and they return a result. They say this driver's license number is valid. They say this ID looks real. They say this passport number is valid. When the result comes back, the result goes to uh, SoFi. And now they know that Ambika Sharma is the one that they think she is and the phone number actually belongs to her. And now they've identified Ambika with her phone number. And going forward, you know, that becomes, you know, as far as SoFi is concerned, the human being that owns that phone number, that device, and that email address is Ambika Sharma. And that binding is actually very important. It's lifelong binding in some ways. Once you get an account in somebody's name, it's very easy to actually open other accounts and so on and so forth. So we essentially enable all these online companies do this whole process without touching these sensitive fields because they don't need them. There's nobody, literally nobody at SoFi who sits there and verifies information. They can't. Someone has to do it on their behalf. And it's usually another third party with API calls and stuff. Uh, There are sometimes exceptions they have to handle, but even for exceptions, they basically have to call up other people. So Skyflow's job is to make sure companies like Robinhood, et cetera, don't have to touch or store this data so that they have fewer chances of getting into trouble. So we have another question, I think it's actually from your classmate, and he's using the back channel. His name is Raj. So he has a couple of questions. First is, if I'm applying for a credit card and I provide my PII, is Skyflow acting as a conduit between me and the card issuer to get a score from a credit bureau? So that's the first question. Yes, except we are doing it not on your behalf. We are doing it on behalf of an entity like, you know, an online app like SoFi or Robinhood or whoever, right? Uh, we have customers like Nomi Health and, and Deserve on whose behalf we will do that. But yes, the idea is we are acting on behalf of the app. We are doing it oftentimes actually in an Amazon VPC instance that's dedicated to them. But technically, those fields never touch the regular databases, the regular network architecture, the regular application stack of that company, 
it's bypassed because when it touches those applications, it's it's fully encrypted. So that's what we do. So yes, we are in the flow, but we are in the flow on behalf of the company that you are opening the account with. You're not opening a Skyflow account, you're opening a bank account and your relationship with this bank, we are a technology provider to them. And then Raj, I think he's made it up on stage. So Raj, do you want to ask a second question yourself? I muted you, so you'll have to unmute yourself. It's in the bottom right. Hi, Anshu, uh, this is Raj, Rajeshi, actually. My question was, suppose a bank wants to cut a file of their customer base to do some analytics, and they often do, they send it to, let's mm-hmm. say, credit bureaus to get a sense of the performance of a predictive score. Now, mm-hmm. if the data resides with Skyflow and like, for example, SoFi wants to do it and SoFi doesn't mm-hmm. have access to that data, how, mm-hmm. how would they cut such a file and provide it to a third party sure. to do some analytical work? Yeah. So, you know, let's start with the metaphor first and then we will talk about the actual, you know, electronics and physics of it actually happens. So, you know, when you put your money in a bank or when you put your passport in a bank locker, it's not that you no longer have access to it. It's that the bank is actually protecting it for you. And, you know, when you give instructions to the bank, they transfer the money over. The the Skyflow vault belongs to, you know, whichever business entity we are talking about. So if it's a mortgage processing application or it's a, you know, a loan application, they own the vault. We are simply giving them a means so that they don't have to touch this data in their regular databases and their regular applications. We are no different to them than, you know, having a MongoDB instance or a Snowflake instance or an Octa instance or an Auth0 instance. It's theirs. It's just like saying nobody, okay, no good company allows its employees or its systems to look at passwords unencrypted, right? And yet, clearly, when I'm logging into my United Airlines app, they're verifying my password. So the data exists. It does belong to the company. They are choosing not to exploit it and get in trouble. So now to your question of how the physics of it happens. Let's say you wanted to run a query that says, give me bank balances by this area code, or I only want to cut a file in your language of everybody that's in North America on the East Coast and therefore is in these you know, 40 zip codes or these 400 area codes. You can run that query. You will get a result set back. The result set to your application will look like it's encrypted. Certain fields will be partially masked. Some certain fields be fully masked. Certain fields will be fully tokenized. You can then say, hey, send this file over to my partner company that is doing fraud analysis. And when you're sending this file over, by the way, can you reveal the phone number in full? And, you know, it's an API call. At the end of the day, we are database and we will do that on your behalf and you can send the file over. So essentially, if you, you know, you must be familiar with Oracle database views or SQL server views. We are a data store. We have views. It's just that views comes with policies and restrictions that you set up. And, you know, at the end of the day, you are the administrator. So if you said, show everything to everybody, you know, we would tell you, you shouldn't be setting up your data stores that way, but, you know, you can do that too. 
Great. Thank you, Anju. Raj, any other follow-ups or you're good? I'm good. Thank you. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you for coming And we can talk about it more, Raj, offline. (laughs) Sure, Anju. That'll be great. So there is one follow-up, like in terms of masking PII, there's a question in the back channel. It's from Heather. The other side of masking the PII is actually like when you call in and you don't know your account number, you can also use your social as a way to identify yourself to get access to whatever you're trying to do. How does that use case work here? Can I call SoFi, the use case we've been playing with? Can I call SoFi and say, here's my social, like what's my account summary? Like, can I do that? Yes. Yes, you can totally do that. Except, you know, you should never give your social security number to a call center app. And so what you should be doing is they will say, can you verify yourself by giving me the last four digits? And, you know, most companies, what they do is they ask that question, but actually the customer support rep is often seeing the whole thing. And that defeats the purpose because as you saw with Robin Hood, you know, that's can lead to bad things happening yesterday. So I think what happens with Skyflow is very simple. You give them this information. You can search for that record. We do search on encrypted data again. Nothing gets decrypted. And we say, hey, this row contains the data for Ambika Sharma. There was a match based on the last four digits. And you know, based on what privileges you have, you might be able to see your last name, your bank balance. If you have all the privileges, you may be able to see every record information in there. But the idea is you shouldn't have to give me a full SSN and I shouldn't have to decrypt the SSN in my database fully to simply find you in my data store. And, you know, I think that's kind of magical about computer science. We can do these things. Another question from the back channel. I'm not sure why people are not coming up on stage today, but they're sending questions, however. So this question is from James. He's a, a software engineer for a blockchain fintech company. And he's asking, what's the process like when a company need to perform compliance audits such as SOC 2 and PCI? Awesome. Well, it's, it's, it's a great question. Well, PCI is all about making sure that you know exactly where your credit card numbers are stored and to make sure that wherever they are stored, they are encrypted and, you know, con- encrypted addressed. And every data store, every application that touches credit card numbers has to be therefore certified. So it's kind of like, imagine you wanted to keep a credit card num- credit cards at home physically. And, you know, if you said, I want to do it compliant with PCI standards, someone would come in and check every door and window in your house. Now, the smarter way to say that is, well, I don't keep the credit card numbers everywhere. I keep them only in my bedroom closet. And then I just have to make sure that your bedroom closet is safe. So similarly, we have an isolate and protect architecture. So you put all the credit card numbers in a nice clean vault. The vault has all kinds of rules, security measures, and stuff that are already pre-certified by you know, our PCI auditors. So since the vault architecture is PCI uh, certified because Skyflow is, you're essentially renting a PCI certified vault from us. And as a result, your path to PCI certification can be really, really fast. Uh, It can go from like three to six months down to like weeks. So that's the PCI part. SOC 2 is similar. The only difference is that SOC 2 is actually not just about data protection. There are other things you need to do for SOC 2, like you should have a clearly defined human being that 
you know, manage your policies. You should do certain things with your email address. So those things you still have to get, you know, uh, make sure you're doing the and dotting the I's and crossing the T's. But as far as the data protection part of is concerned, again, because Skyflow Vault is SOC 2, you kind of inherit it. We produce a document. You take the document and you show it to an auditor and the auditor goes, looks like you have everything you need for data protection. And therefore, again, you should be able to get SOC 2 done in you know one third the time you would otherwise on your own. Wow, that's great. Thank you for educating us. That's, that was a good question. Thank you, James, as well. So there is one more question on the back channel, but we also have Akshay and Krishnan on stage. So Akshay, let's hear from you. Do you want to introduce yourself and ask your question? Yeah, thanks, Ambika. Hi, my name is Akshay, and I'm actually listening in from Australia. Very interesting session today. My question, Nanchu, is what is your view on government-driven privacy mandates versus perhaps market-driven privacy trends? Yes, I think it's unfortunate that we really, you know, did a bad job as an industry as a whole. And by that mean everybody involved. And we had so many issues with privacy. Essentially, we, you know, as you know, famously, one CEO said, you know, privacy is over, get over it. What he meant was, you know, your privacy is my ad dollars. So, but I think the net result of that is clearly since the industry has failed to protect users' privacy in many, many different kinds of systems, the government on behalf of citizens is stepping in. I think there is a role for the government, even the CEOs of you know Facebook and Apple and Google have testified and said that's the right approach. But this, the standards that the government puts in place should be based on industry input. They should be clear and technical. And they should be driven by actual needs of data protection and privacy, as opposed to say, hey, you know, I want my country's data center to have more, you know, business. And so I think there's a, there's a place for data protection laws. I think GDPR has certain challenges, but, you know, net net, it's been a positive for society. And I think pretty much the consensus amongst the policy people in the U.S. is, we will see something similar in the US, similar to CCPA and GDPR. And as you know, Australia has similarish laws at various levels. Countries like India have even stronger laws. My view is we should use these laws for their intended purpose, which is for enhancing user privacy. Sometimes they are actually an excuse to shut down international trade, international commerce, international exchange of ideas and thoughts. I think that's a terrible thing under the guise of protection of users. And we saw that, for example, I would argue with TikTok last year, right? You know, TikTok actually has very little, you know, private information that you can exploit. Like, what are you going to find out that, you know, because likes Korean uh, dramas and I like Bollywood dances. And that's not very useful to a foreign intelligence service. But you know, when we let politics get in the way of actually passing sane laws, I think that's a bad idea. But I think most people agree that we need laws and in sort of civil society to weigh in on how our data can be used and what's legal and what's not. Great. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Anshu. That was a really nuanced answer. I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks, Akshay. 
And Krishnan, hi, welcome. Would you like to introduce yourself and ask your question? I muted you, so you'll have to unmute yourself. It's bottom right corner. Thanks. This is Krishnan here. My yes. background is my background is insurance. I'm very much focused on cyber security. I'm not a tech guy at all. So let me make say it up front. Uh, but what you mentioned, Anshu, was simple and brilliant. I I like the way in which what data you don't need bypasses the company system and sits somewhere else. I, mm-hmm. it, it's very good. My question to you here is, why don't you open it up for individuals to park their data there? So let's say I want to mm-hmm. have a direct account with you. I give all mm-hmm. my data to you and I can mm-hmm. then provide consent to any of my banks or mortgage companies mm-hmm. or whoever wants it by saying, mm-hmm. go down to Skyflow and pick up my data and you confirm it to them and that's done. Uh, it's like a one-time consent I can give to them or I can give mm-hmm. them a, a time-bound consent. Mm-hmm. That is my question to you and it will be of enormous advantage to a large number of individual customers. The second point as a follow-up to that is what do you think about account aggregator if you're familiar with what is happening in India and India mm-hmm. stack which also mm-hmm. does something very much like you but is able mm-hmm. to pull data thanks to enabling laws in India from more than 13 different sources and provide information based upon the customer's consent. Yeah. So the first part of your question, I think is very, very simple. You know, in theory, what you're saying sounds great. If I actually created an application, you know, some of us, the 65 people or 200 people who are on this podcast might download it, but it's it's a chicken and egg problem. So it's very hard for me to make that, you know, personal Skyflow wallet, if you will, useful to you unless, you know, airlines and banks start accepting it. And airlines and banks have no incentive to accept it because, you know, very few human beings have it. I think the way to break this logjam, right, chicken and egg, is to do two things one is to do what we are doing right we we think if we help enough businesses you know it solves a lot of these problems and at some point businesses might want to get together and solve this problem through you know a sort of a common common way of sharing this data you know it we don't want to be the aggregator of any sort we are purely a vault technology provider to these companies and they keep it safe. I think there there is an opportunity at the same time for, you know, open source foundations and, and other companies. You know, I've talked to a couple of browser companies in the open source domain and said, hey, why don't you use our vault and enable this? We will support you and help you. And, you know, we'll see. We are a very, very small company right now. As we get bigger, we will try and enable that at a mass scale, you know, by working with partners and the community at large. The second question you raised about account aggregation. I know how Aadhaar works. It's a beautiful, you know, cryptographic system. It's when implemented correctly, which is a big when, you know, it actually does a phenomenal job. Even with all all of its challenges and flaws, I think it's really transformed the Indian ecosystem and society. I think account aggregation is just like a hard topic. You know, in the U.S., the U.S. government actually 
passed a law that allows three credit card companies, basically a set of organizations to aggregate your account information so they can create a credit score. And the challenge has always been, it's been done behind the scenes. So, you know, it's banks talking to Equifax, it's banks talking to TransUnion. We've had limited control. I think if you do it in a transparent manner where an individual can claim sort of their profile and, you know, petition to fix it, it can be done in a better way. Also, in the U.S., when it was done, it's all done based on our social security numbers, and that's why we keep losing them. You can do it with the cryptographic techniques and zero-knowledge proof systems that we've built at Skyflow. And if you use those kind of concepts, you can actually have your cake and again eat it too, which is, can you do it in a manner that's kind of federated, but and yet, you know, it can appear as one to you, right? So if you look at what Plaid has done in some in the US, you know, enabling technology, great partner of ours, with authenticating to Plaid, you essentially are able to pull information uh, from multiple different sources. So I think there is an opportunity. I think the key is, you know, can you do it in a manner that doesn't create a single centralized data store, which can be used for bad purposes by, you know, internal and external bad actors? And can you do it in a way that respects my privacy, my right to be forgotten, my right to fix the information, my right to, you know, change my name, you know, people get you know, married, divorced, you know, there are challenges, you know, for 90% of the population, it's 100% net positive. When you're building a system that's going to be deployed to 100 million people or a billion people, you have to think about the 1% cases because 1% of a billion is 10 million human beings that could be affected negatively. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Brilliant. You're really up to something very big. Wish you the best. Anshu, we have like three more questions in the back channel. I don't know if we're going to get to all, but there's one that I want to bring up. It's from Sridhar, and he's asking mm-hmm. to, if you could talk about data governance on like the Skyflow side. What's your data governance principle? Sure. So first of all, we provide a very sophisticated set of tools for you to govern the data as a customer. So that means you can set policies that say this data is only visible to citizens of the same country. This data is only available to internal employees that have a certain level of clearance. You can set up a policy that if somebody is working from home and connecting through the VPN and trying to look at somebody's social security number that they have to do a second you know, level of authentication. So we have a full policy engine, we have governance, we have access control. The most important thing is you can build these things. There's lots and lots of companies. Uh, cybersecurity is a $100 billion market after all. Uh, but how do you get all of that to work together? Right, That's always the challenge. And what we've done is because of this integrated vault architecture, we've combined governance with enforcement with access control rules so that you as a CTO, you as a developer, you as a CISO can go into the administration portal, set up the rules, connect it to your Okta, define the roles, and governance basically is enforced. So that's for you to govern your vault. As far as we are concerned, we've gone through all kinds of audits. And, you know, we have certifications and audits. We go through all kinds of fire drills inside the company to make sure we we are you know governing our systems 
at a higher level. So there's a product feature set around governance and there's internal controls. We have to make sure your data is secure. Thank you. And the last question, I guess, is a culmination of the two questions left. So I'll just ask, and that is, if Skyflow were to be immensely successful, and I hope you are, what would the world look like? How would you have redefined the status quo? Well, I think realistically speaking, if we can, you know, block one bad guy from accessing, you know, one more internal system or one more online trading application, that would be totally worth the effort we've put in. But, you know, if we are, if we, if we have permission, what I call market permission, you know, if our customers and their customers' customers truly believe in this model, which kind of makes sense, like think about it. Every year you give your social security number to TurboTax. They keep it for the entire year. We also give them your your ACH account information if you want to wire the money through them. They keep it for the whole year. You also give them your date of birth. They keep it for the whole year. How many days of the year is into a TurboTax acting on your behalf to actually do anything with those fields? It's maybe one once or twice a year, right? So if you implement if if a zero trust architecture got implemented, not just at individual companies, but across companies, we could end up with an ecosystem where our personal information is never, ever decrypted. And that would be great because then we could basically go from opening a bank account to a mortgage application to going to a hospital. And all of these systems could talk to each other about Ambika without having to reveal to each other Ambika's personal information. Today, if you if you get transferred from one hospital to another, literally there's your entire PII file that gets transferred over because you know we don't have pointers. So for those of you who are, who are even slightly technical, the world should operate on pointers rather than copies of your PII. And that's really the mission of the company, right? Can we get rid of copies of those forms that you fill up every time you go to a dentist's office for a dental cleaning when we've all filled up that information, it's all been verified by our bank, by our telco, by our insurance company. Why is my dentist asking me these questions again? And the reason is they just need to validate a few things. And that validation can be done without the mess we are in today. That's powerful and bold. You are reimagining how, I guess, I always thought the world to be. I thought there are some things I must share with someone such as a bank, I need to share a social security number because they, it makes sense. But now you're putting these ideas in my mind that even they don't need it. So that's powerful. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, they can't do anything with it. There's no information in your social security number. I can't guess your age based on that. Like it, it literally is a useless piece of seven, nine digits, whatever it is. And, you know, we can all do without it. Mm-hmm. Well, you just raised a Series B, $45 million. So what's your plan for growth? Are you hiring a lot of the people in the audience are usually interested? So the audience is like technical folks, product manager, engineers, but also uh, the business side of finance. So what's next in terms of your growth and what roles are you hiring for? Yes, so I think uh, we are hiring in every role. We are hiring in sales. We are hiring in marketing, business development, product management, engineering, you know, even roles that I haven't imagined. I just talked to a lawyer who specializes in privacy at 
you know, some of the leading companies. So might end up hiring him next week. We need people who understand this mission and can contribute to it to join us. I think we've built a special team. If you go to Glassdoor, you will see the ratings, more than the ratings, which is 100%, by the way. You can actually read the anecdotes of what people feel when they work at Skyflow. I don't think our ratings will stay at 100% forever, but you know, even if we were at 95%, we would be in the top you know, one percentile. So it's a great team. I love the people I work with. We got a great set of board members. The job to be done is entirely in front of us, which is we can all see it, right? When I'm talking about it, you know, you know, Ambi can, can visualize a world where she doesn't have to give her social security number to her bank. Some of you may be able to imagine the same for your kids. And I think we can do it. It's entirely doable. And we don't have to generate any tokens to do that either. It can all be done using standard computer science that was invented, you know, five to 20 years ago. Definitely a vision for all of us to go home with. Thank you so much, Anshu. I know we're a minute past the hour. What a what an informative conversation. And I really, I'm not as tech forward. And this is super informative for me. And also as a consumer, I know better what my options could potentially be. So wishing you really all the best in Skyflow and we'll be watching. And for those who uh, do want to listen again, we will be posting um, this conversation on our website. Vika has shared the link and uh, this conversation with Anshu will be there for you to listen again. I know I'm going to, I'm going to do that again. Thank you so much from the other non Sharma or the honorary Sharma on stage. Thanks again for your time. What a conversation and a great vision for the future. Thank you, Anshu. Thank you. We really appreciate you, know, you inviting us over. And I wasn't sure, you know, what topics would be there, but it's been a really <laughs> fun conversation. So I, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you, Anshu. It was lovely. I really appreciate it. And you've uh, honestly have given me new thoughts, like new use cases that I didn't even know existed before. So thank you for the education that you provided us tonight. And with that, we are closing. So uh, thank you for joining us today. And we'll be back next week. We will be back with the CEO of PayActive next week, same time, Wednesday, 5 p.m. Pacific. So see you all then. And I wish you a lovely night.